making a return appearance on the podcast. It's been a hot minute since we had him on last, so we had to get him in again here. We've got the one and only Kyle Kirkwood from the Front Office Podcast. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, Zoom just asked us if we wanted to be recorded, and I was really considering leaving the meeting because I don't know if I really want to be recorded. Are you recording this? Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know if you, you how you guys run your podcasts over there at the front office. <laughs> I've been told it might just be Jet in a corner holding a hand cam. <laughs> That's how you guys are uploading your content. But. In all seriousness, uh, I'm actually doing really well, buddy. How's uh, how's everything with you? Everything's great over here. You know, you have a good Father's Day. We we had a, a pretty good time at the the Skinner Pool in the backyard here for ours. What did you guys get up to in your neck of the woods? So I'm sure that the Kirkwood pool isn't nearly as big as the Skinner pool is, but, uh, you know, it's good for ankle weighting. So, uh, so definitely if you had some hot feet, you can go cool off, but, uh, no, it, it was good, you know, getting, getting some time to spend with the kids. And, uh, I think I, I put in the more, the most steps I've put in probably in 10 years this weekend, just with running back and forth with my three-year-old. Oh yeah. No, they're, they're at that age where you take your eye off them for one minute and, they're halfway up a tree or they've got <laughs> six houses down the block all of a sudden chasing a dandelion blowing in the breeze or something yeah you can't take your eyes off them for a minute but uh yeah just enjoy this time right now because with both of us we've got two girls so it's yeah. only a matter of time before they don't want to spend any time with us whatsoever so i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing though, because like i think right now we're just like just leave me alone for a minute you know just give me a minute to myself and yeah i'm sure when the time comes we're gonna be we're going to miss these times where we're glued to them and chasing them and running around. But uh, no, it's, it's all good, man. You know, obviously you got to cherish every moment and, uh, and look forward to the, the more difficult times of having to protect them in their teens, which will be you know, even more fun. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about being recorded. There's going to be all sorts of home security footage going up around here. Once my daughter's <laughs> turned 16, 17 years old, I don't know who's coming in the house, who they're coming with, whether that little shithead Steve is coming over. <laughs> fucking steve <laughs> yeah uh, so all of that to say the reason we're talking father's day is because tonight for our episode we're going to be talking about sports dads the good the bad the ugly obviously you've got people that run the gamut of excellent behavior to uh-huh. uh, overly involved we'll say <laughs> to put it nicely yeah. but we'll, we'll go through all of that we are going to go through down some of the more impactful dads, right? We, we've all seen that dad at Little League who has one too many pops in the stands and gets kicked out for yelling at the 15-year-old umpire there. Those aren't the sports dads we're talking about. We're talking about professional sports leagues, professional athletes, men's side, women's side, whatever. It's not just one. We're doing every sports league across the board here. So I had to come to you as a fellow girl dad to, to get your opinions on the matter there. So. As always, you being the guest, because I mean, we're fulfilling your contractual obligations. You're, you're kind of like uh, that deal that like 20th Century Fox had with like the X-Men franchise, where if, if they don't, didn't do a movie every so often, they lost the rights to it. It's kind of like you with us. If you don't appear on the podcast every so often, you've become free agents. As our guest, do you want to go first or second? Well, again, I don't know if that's the worst thing in the world if, uh, if you actually you did lose our podcast because <laughs> i'm sure it would cause you a lot less grief every week you know trying to edit out some of the crazy shit that we say but uh, uh you know what as many lawyers on retainer at least there. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know what let's uh 
Let's keep with tradition. I'll let you go first, and then I'll uh, I'll just kind of you know follow up and be the cleanup hitter. All right. So I've got a few extras. We'll we'll see how we're doing on time. But I, I don't want to make this a fourteen hour podcast here. So as you know, we can definitely you know cover fourteen hours worth of content. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People will be a little uh, bloodshot in the eyes, and uh, have, will have tuned out at probably the fourteen minute mark if we're trying to go that long. If they haven't tuned out already. Yeah, for, for the three people who have made it this far into the episode. It's going to get better, we promise. I promise. We've got nowhere to go but up here. I figured we would start with someone who was the sort of centerpiece of a recent documentary there. And I'm going to start with Mr. Earl Woods, Tiger Woods' mm. father. Yep. Now, if you haven't had the chance to hear it already... Here's your cross promotion right here. You need to hear Kev's rant on the front office podcast about the Tiger Woods documentary because it is just flat out an all timer in his grinding bean segment when he reviews <laughs> the Tiger Woods documentary over there. He, he was none too pleased with how that rolled out. Eh? <laughs> he wasted two full days. And you know that as a parent, you don't get that much free time. And he took all the free time that he had to invest into the Tiger Woods documentary and he still to this day seethes over wasting the time to watch that documentary. <laughs> so yes, go listen to uh, I believe it's episode three of uh, of uh, the Front Office podcast and uh, hear Kevin's great take on the Tiger Woods documentary. So for those who haven't seen the documentary, though, you probably have a passing knowledge of Earl Woods. The documentary kind of hammers home the fact that Earl was put it lightly, uh, probably an inherently flawed father. Uh, I don't think he'll be winning any humanitarian awards or uh, father of the year awards at any point for his raising of Tiger. But that being said, he was just so instrumental in his development. You want to talk helicopter parent before the term helicopter parent was even invented. Like he was involved with who he was dating, you know, what schools he was going to, what companies he was going to sign with. He was sitting in the Nike boardrooms for the contract negotiations, like literally had his fingerprints all over everything that Tiger did well into his adult life too. Like this wasn't just high schoolers. If you remember Tiger in the early 2000s, was unlike anything golf had ever seen not only his results on the golf course but just what he did to the sport in general right like mm -hmm. he broke down so many barriers in the sense of he made it mainstream he appealed to a demographic that no one in the history of the sport ever had before because it was a fairly buttoned down country club old white guys would tune in and you know maybe the masters or the u.s open or something would draw a bit of a bigger audience but just a weekend weekend thing people weren't watching mm. golf in the 90s and the 80s very much unless there was something truly special going on and it was to the point where vegas had actual betting lines of tiger woods or the field which in an individual sport is absolutely ludicrous and i don't know if we'll ever even see it again in any sport like that, that's how dominant this guy was but yeah i mean we've all seen the clips right earl had tiger on all sorts of late night talk shows swinging clubs when he was like two years old or whatever and up until his death earl really was even right to the final hours tiger tried to sort of distance himself a little bit once he got married and started having kids of his own. He sort of, there was a bit of a rift there. And obviously the documentary goes into that a little bit, but he was still trying to latch on to everything that Tiger did. Now, 
documentary certainly didn't do Earl, I think, any favors. And he wasn't there, obviously, to defend himself or be interviewed because he's already dead. And Tiger Woods, for, for a documentary about Tiger Woods, <laughs> conspicuously absent in the actual documentary itself. Like, all canned footage, which I think was one of Kev's biggest gripes. Oh, 100%. 100%. Why would so, you want to talk to Tiger Woods in a documentary about Tiger Woods, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you, you don't need that. There, we can just go through Google images and uh, press clippings there. That'll do oh, it. Yeah. So, would I enlist Earl Woods's services to babysit my kids? Probably not. <laughs> but all that being said, if you look at the impact that Tiger had on the sport of golf, that's not there without Earl Woods being the micromanaging sort of tiger mom helicopter parent whatever the heck you want to call him presence in his life from the age of diapers all the way up till like his mid-20s when he was essentially an adult at that point so yeah i don't know whether you want to lump him into the good category for ultimately having an impact of really shaping a sport or sort of the bad category there but we can't start a discussion about sports parents without at some point bringing up earl wood yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think the main thing that people need to realize from Earl's impact on what Tiger ended up becoming, yes, did he make him a great golfer? For sure, absolutely. And he became you know the richest athlete in the world for like a 10-year span. But you look at all the extracurricular stuff that was happening outside of the game and outside of his marriage and everything like that that and i think that can be you know traced back to you know any celebrity that gets a little bit of notoriety at a young age and has to go through that whole process from when they're in diapers to you know to god knows whenever they're done so i think the overbearing you know micromanagement aspect of of earl's parenting really did kind of push you know tiger towards a lot of the things and it's like i just hate structure i hate be having to be at a certain place at a certain time i don't want to you know be the cookie cutter version that i've been my whole life i want to try something new and you know sometimes that just means i'm going to go off the deep end somewhere and you know people have to find an outlet and whether it's drugs alcohol promiscuity like whatever it may be to all get away from <laughs> all the above yeah and a lot of times they have to be hand in hand in hand so but but i do think that that impact that parents leave on their kids really does have long lasting effects on them because again, this is a grown man who's still seeking approval from somebody and who knows where he's going to get it from now that his father's passed on. And I mean, you know, even if you think about whatever happened or sort of when, uh, you know, when everything happened with his wife and, you know, who knows what Have happened. An iron through the windshield. Exactly. And the, all that. But, but I don't know if you remember the commercial that came out right after that, where it was the Nike commercial that had Earl talking, you know, that this was obviously posthumously. And it had him kind of saying like, now Tiger, what did you learn from that? And it's like, it's really trying to humanize Tiger Woods again by saying, okay, well, his dad's trying to teach him a lesson and this is a learning opportunity for Tiger it was kind of not well-timed by Nike to do it at that current time, but you could tell that that, you know, that father-son relationship that Earl and Tiger had carries on even past Earl being passed away and Tiger seeking that approval and, you know, really trying to not only impress the legacy his father's left, but ultimately live up to everything that all the pressure that his dad had put on him. So kind of a double-edged sword and I think that with all the great that happened with Tiger being as successful as he was there was obviously the downfall that happened because it's like okay enough I just got to get away from 
having somebody scheduling everything in my life and doing everything that I maybe don't want to do, but I have to because I'm obligated. So yeah, it's uh, it's a good way to start off, man. And again, you you probably put from a success standpoint in the good pile, but from an everything else standpoint, you got to throw it in the bad pile because I don't know a lot of a lot of kids who would be able to overcome a lot of that overbearingness that uh, that Earl Woods put on put on Tiger. Yeah, there, there's not too many uber successful whatever billionaires, athletes, influencers, whatever you want to sort of pigeonhole it as that have super great relationships with their parents because a lot of that does come from tough love scheduling things kicks in the butts all that so like you say it's something that you and i right now we're in the cuddly oh nice you want to read a story you want to watch moana for the 150th time on (laughs) disney plus there like we're in that stage right now but at a certain point we are going to have to sort of navigate that Mm. Are you going to be tough on them? And would you rather be tough on them and maybe have a slightly strained relationship, but they go on to change the world? Or would you rather give them everything they want and they love you, but they maybe even try and take advantage of you in the future and all, all those kind of things. And I think that's probably something that a lot of parents struggle with. But yeah. with Earl, I think the narrative around Earl would be different if he had better just media savvy or was more personable because the list of uber driven i'm gonna you know be sort of a taskmaster with my child to get them to the professional ranks list of parents is long he is not the only person who has tried this before but he kind of got crucified a little bit because of it because he wasn't very approachable he was about as cuddly as a cactus when it came to actually putting an interview together with the media or anything so i don't think he did any favors there the fact that tiger wasn't able to actually get interviewed for the documentary or chose not to i should say and the fact that earl himself is dead and by at least how the documentary and everything else i've sort of read about him didn't have a ton of close friends that they could go to the well of oh well you didn't know this side of them you know he used to adopt wounded puppies all the time and nurse them (laughs) back to help like no one painted that so i think our our image probably is skewed a little bit of him but he he's one that could go either way depending on what your view of parenting is yeah and i'm kind of glad you brought up earl first because I'm actually going to, you know, bring up one of the parents, one of the dads that I was really focusing on. I wanted to, you know, bring on uh, on the show tonight, and very much of the same ilk, where pretty overbearing, really, you know, forced his, you know, and I'm going to speak about children because he has two kids that, you know, that he he put this on, but he really forced them into something, you know, from an early age, even if, you know, and again, we don't know if they really wanted to or not, but they both achieved uber success. And ultimately one of them is become the best at, at their respective sport. And I'm talking about Richard Williams. So the father of I'm so Venus glad you brought this up because I, I've got a whole laundry list of stuff on him there. So I, I'm going to let you do your piece here first, but you and I are same wavelength on him here for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, the reason why I wanted to look at him is because, you know, you and I obviously, you know, can relate to a lot of things that he's going, you know, that he went through because we both have two daughters. And when I look at what Richard was, was able to do with, again, teaching both of his kids, you know, the, the sport that he loved, you know, teaching them the finer points of it, pushing them to lengths that, you know, maybe they would have never achieved without him and ultimately getting them to a point where 
Venus obviously took the world by storm when she first came on the scene and then Serena's has blown it out of the water and become one of the most successful athletes of all time. But he did it in a sense of he was brash. You want to talk about Earl Woods being as cuddly as a cactus, but very unapproachable. Richard Williams was actually very savvy and very well-versed in dealing with the media. So he could talk his way out of a lot of different circumstances. And I think that's what made him kind of the lightning rod that he was, was because sometimes he'd say some shit that people wouldn't really like, but he, you know, he'd explain it and say, this is why I feel it. This is why I'm going to say it. I don't want my kids to say it because they have everything to lose. So I'll, you know, jump on that grenade for them. So everything that I've kind of looked up and everything I've seen about Richard Williams says that he had a, you know, somewhat strained relationship with the two girls, but at the end of the day, he was always sitting front row. He was always cheering them on. He was always, you know, there. And I mean, that's half the battle is, is just showing up. Right. So, I mean, you see a lot of these parents that if their kids don't achieve the level of success that they want, they just bail, Mm -hmm. you know, at least you can say that this guy was there for his kids and he was there to support them, whether it was, you know, wanted or not. Now, if I were to categorize him as, as a parent, Every time I coach and I look at parents like this, I always feel the need to have a discussion with them early on in the season, just to, you know, get an understanding of, okay, where are you coming from? You know, and what do you want your, your kids to achieve this year? Because if we can genuinely be on the same page with that, I think you can alleviate a lot of these things. But I, I think with a guy like this, he really wanted to be in control and he could have, you know, he really wanted to coach them their whole careers if they would have let him but i think it got to a point where if he was going to be their coach then if they lost well guess whose fault it is mm-hmm. richard williams and i don't think his ego could have taken that so it's a lot easier to hire coaches to teach your kids and you can kind of be the armchair gm in the background and if something goes wrong and they don't win well you're fired on to the next one so you see that a lot in in sports especially with kids at a young age and i think that's exactly what where Richard kind of fit in this whole system. Now, again, good pile, bad pile, good. Obviously he raised two extremely successful daughters, both very well-spoken, both very well-educated. And again, I, I, I don't think you can have any better content, you know, from a media perspective, when you talk to Venus and Serena, they're not robotic. They're very well adept at every situation that they find themselves in. And I, I think ultimately they've been both very great role models for, for young girls who are looking to play tennis because they, they've changed the way that it's been done, right? They've changed the way of, oh, the typical, and again, you know, we're mentioning Tiger and the Williams sisters, and, you know, we could easily be talking about the Robin Williams comedy special where he talks about, you know, the impact that Tiger and Venus and Serena have had, but, you know, they've, they've kind of, you know, made it where, you know, every young tennis player resembles the Williams sisters in some capacity in their game, you know, with the aggressiveness, with the uh, fist pumping after winning a point with, with the shouting, you know, during it, like it's all an, an intimidation, right. And, you know, and, and that's, I think a level of, you know, of, of athletics that's really underappreciated, especially when it comes to female athletics, you don't see women who are trying to physically impose their will, right. They started this. They were the ones who ultimately asserted themselves and put their their will under their opponents, and that's what made them successful. So, all in all, I think he he probably you know moved more towards the the good side because you know he wasn't in the forefront all the time, and he did take a lot of the the criticism in stride, and he was able to address it well. But 
you got to keep a little bit on that bad side too, because I think that everything that went on, a lot of it was to cater to his ego. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to talk about a lot of people tonight, obviously, but I thought <laughs> that Richard Williams was one of the most interesting ones, right? Because obviously, yeah. father, father of Venus and Serena, everyone knows all the success that they had on the tennis courts there, right? But he is truly one that there's two sides to him. And like you were saying with Earl Woods, like if we were to put all these people up on a spectrum, people can sort of speculate, you know, who's at one end of it versus the other end of it. I, I think probably by the end of the episode, people will probably figure out who we sort of have slotted <laughs> in where, but I, I'm not here to rank these people as parents, right? Because no. they unique circumstances, but he's been super involved in tennis for a long time. A lot of it was like his entire interest in tennis was piqued by some tennis star getting interviewed and said how much she had won, you know, at the latest tennis tournament on a talk show. And then he went, oh, that's the key right there. I'm going to raise some, some of my daughters to be tennis champions and go after some of these tournament purses and yada, yada, yada. Now, if you go and read Richard Williams is just even like Wikipedia page, like I'm not even talking about doing deep diving into any of his biographies or, you know, interviews or anything like that. Just go to his Wikipedia page. It's less than flattering to say the least. Um, anytime the sentence has an unspecified amount of children from previous marriages is in your bio there probably not going to win father of the year anytime soon here <laughs> when, when you physically have lost the media can't even count how many children you have strewn across the country not a great sign but all that being said like you were saying he poured himself into venus and serena obviously from a very early age now did that come at the expense of some of his other children obviously but again right these are just quotes and things that are living on the internet. We don't know what was going on custody wise or the relationship yeah. or where they were living or whatever. So I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to focus on Venus and Serena, but I had to at least get the caveat out there. That, <laughs> that is, is Antonio Cromartied uh, a, a few uh, younger ones across the country. Anyways, pretty interesting too, because I don't know if you even know this or not, but there's actually a movie about him coming out this year. Yeah, and who's playing him? I actually heard about Will that. Smith is playing. It's Will Smith, yeah. I thought it was either Will Smith or Denzel Washington. Yeah, so King Richard is, well, uh, now, mind you, it was supposed to come out in November this year. I have no idea if COVID's backed that up in yeah. or whatever there. But, like, this just goes to show you of, like, how interesting a character he was, right? Yeah. There will be God knows how many documentaries and biopics of the, the Williams sisters when all is said and done for them. But when was the last time you ever heard of a parent of an athlete getting one of what probably the top 10 highest paid actors in all of Hollywood to yeah. portray them in a feature length film like yeah. it's unheard of so just goes yeah. to show like he's a pretty interesting guy and obviously layers of complexity to him but like you alluded to when I'm thinking of tennis hotbeds in North America Compton, California doesn't jump to the front of the list to me as like an ideal place to go out there and cherry pick someone to become a Wimbledon champion, let alone everything else that the sisters have gone on to do. With Earl, like if we're going to compare the two, Earl wanted to be involved with every single aspect and micromanage to death Tiger. And I think that's why you see Tiger is like, 
don't get me wrong if tiger woods wants to come on the dying sports podcast i'll have him on but like he's not even in, like, <laughs> i guess top, i'll have him on i guess I'll have him. <laughs> but he's not even in like my top 100 people that i'd like to interview because he is the most boring interview like everything's robotic everything's rehearsed and a lot of that is because of god knows how many decades of earl just drilling yeah and answers into him whereas both venus and serena have a personality to them they have a brand around them they're personable people enjoy talking with them and getting answers and they, they actually show some emotion on the court and will call out a ref or whatever like they've got complexity to them and i think that's the key difference because you inherit a lot of that from your upbringing right so yeah that to me is the most compelling difference between earl and richard and the fact that richard like you were saying it was definitely ego based with him but at a certain point he removed himself from the situation he's he's removed now he's he's still alive but he's removed now because he's suffered a stroke and he has dementia and all that so there's a reason he's not there but i think it was like probably around 2010 when he was still functioning and all of that that he sort of stepped back from the spotlight and he wasn't in the front row every single time and all that and so he he knew when to insert himself in there and say okay you know what my daughters can't come out and publicly rip this you know decision that the u.s open made here because they'll whatever get fined or sanctioned or whatever i'm just a dad so i'll tell you what i thought <laughs> you know that line judge and the bs yeah. that were going on so for all his shortcomings, though, the two sisters, both in, in you know the biographies and in interviews of the over the years, both said the same stories of their childhood, where obviously Compton, California isn't exactly, you know, Greenwich, <laughs> Connecticut there or anything. So there were times where two separate occasions that both of them mentioned where they went to the tennis courts and obviously Compton, lots of gangs activity going on there. Tennis courts, pretty dilapidated to begin with. Those are usually where there are some uh, handoffs, we'll say, that uh, transpire. <laughs> and there were two instances where Richard went and actually got in physical fights with gang members, one resulting in him getting a whole bunch of broken ribs. The second one, he lost 10 teeth in the fight, but literally fighting gang members off the tennis courts so that he could then go and whack 400 balls at these, you know, six and seven year old girls marching up and down the tennis courts. So it just goes yeah. to show you like the drive and the conviction that he had that they would get to that next level. Did he approach it in the best way? I don't know, but... <laughs> He's definitely one where, you know, if we're going across a range of sports, like you got to talk about him based on the success yeah. that those two women have had. Absolutely. All right. Moving on. Let's, let's go to uh, Canada's favorite hockey dad here. We got to bring up good old Walter Gretzky. Father to the highest scoring pair of brothers in NHL history, 2,861 <laughs> points. Four of which were Brent Gretzky's, <laughs> but still, I, I don't see you or I having any kind of NHL records under our belt. So, I mean, Brent Gretzky did that. We all know the things that Wayne did. Like, we're, we're not going to beat those into the ground here. But Wayne's fortune and his fame did afford Walter the privilege to do a lot of the things that he did. And he could... Right you know throw himself into a lot of the endeavors and not need to worry about oh am i working am i paying my mortgage but the amount of people in professional sports history who have a son daughter 
third cousin twice removed, whatever sort of affiliation you have with these uber rich athletes who just latch on and coast until the day they die because they know that whatever LeBron or Kobe or MJ or Wayne or whoever are going to just pay for everything and they don't need to worry about it and they just live a lavish luxury lifestyle. That wasn't Walter whatsoever. Like he stayed in the same house for years and years and years and if you just look at the accolades, Brantford Citizen of the Year, Order of Ontario, Order of Canada. He's got an elementary school named after him. So again, we were just yeah. talking about like how many people have a biopic about them as a sports dad? How many people have an elementary school named after them as a sports dad? Uh, yeah. you know, three honorary doctorates. was part of the opening ceremonies at the Vancouver Olympics. Raised millions of dollars for countless charities like he was probably one of the most active 70 year olds I think I've ever seen almost any weekend. He was across Canada, across North America, all over the place, raising funds for all sorts of charitable causes. When you think of hockey dad, you just think of Walt Gretzky and he's really worked with hockey Canada at all sorts of capacities and levels, but mostly promoting minor hockey and inclusion and diversity and, you know, knocking down financial barriers for them. And while there's the more hands-on version of Earl Woods, like Walter, I don't think I can even come up with an instance where he would ever play the do you know who i am card like i I think a lot of the people on this list probably would play that a couple times (laughs) a week but walter (laughs) just you know someone who loved the success that wayne had but never used it to his advantage in the way that some parents unfortunately do when they have an uber wealthy child in in their family tree there yeah, for sure. I think when you look up the the definition of of what you want a sports parent to be, Walter Gretzky's picture would be right beside it. I mean, you, you've already hit on all of his accolades, and you know, I I just every time you heard him speak, every time you saw an interview with him, he was always talking about something that meant something to somebody, right? It was never about Walter Gretzky. It was never about Wayne Gretzky. It was always about what can we do to help other people? And I think that was the mentality that he took when Wayne was a young hockey player as well. And I think Wayne said this on multiple occasions, like Walter would be the dad who would go pick up the backup goalie if they couldn't get a ride to the game just because he wanted every kid to be there. You know, and Walter would be the type of guy who would, you know, bring coffee for all the coaches for, and thank them for, you know, spending the time that they do. Like, it's the dream scenario for any coach when you have a parent like a Walter Gretzky, right? Especially when his kid is as talented as he is, because you know, just as well as I do, a lot of times those ultra, ultra talented kids, their parents are the ones who, okay, well, if he gets 19 minutes of ice time instead of 21 minutes of ice time, you know, the coach is going to hear about it after the game. Mm-hmm. Right. And everything revolves around their kid. You know, I, I think that a guy like Walter Gretzky, again, is the epitome of, of what a good sports parent is and exactly what everybody should strive to be, regardless of how good your kid is. And again, anytime you hear anybody mention the name Walter Gretzky, it's always followed by a man. Remember when he did this, remember when he did that and no one hears about it because he's not out there tooting his own horn about it. So, you know, that, that's the really cool thing. Whenever you, you mention the name Walter Gretzky is that, 
it's just a genuineness to it, just a, a salt of the earth person. And I think it's really rubbed off on a guy like you know, on Wayne because, you know, Wayne Gretzky for the entirety of his you know athletic career has been in the spotlight and he's never been in a situation where he's been in a scandal. He's never been in a situation where he said anything outlandish. He's never been in a situation where he hasn't just been himself because that's just the way that he was raised. And that's just him exuding everything his father taught him to be. So again, you know, I'm glad you brought him up because, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of the bad stuff that involves sports parents, but you know, Walter's definitely at the top of the list in regards to the best of all time. It's true. Right. Like I, I think a lot of people, especially like in, in yours and I, my generation too, like, do you not kind of feel like, even though you, you've never spent any quality time with him whatsoever, that he's kind of just like a distant uncle or something? Like, yes, absolutely. Feeling in your bones that's yeah. like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, he, he's he's not a blood relative, but uh, you know, Aunt, Uncle Aunt Susie, you know, married him or something like that. Yeah, 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 but, uh, yeah, hundred percent. You know, he's he's Canada's he's Canada's sports dad. You know, that's uh, that's who he is, and that's who he'll always be. So kudos to to him and everything he was able to accomplish not only raising raising his kids but just uh you know being the good guy that he was all right well you know i'll I'll stick on the good guy spectrum here because uh again you've got me in a good mood now talking about walter and look at you smiling over there nostalgic with good old walter (laughs) exactly you know exactly so i'm gonna bring up somebody who was actually a very good professional athlete in his own right and the way that he was able to balance playing in the NFL and then raising his kids and just spending as much time as possible there without over exerting himself onto, you got to be the best at this. You got to be the best at that. I think it's very admirable. And you know, I'm talking about Archie Manning. You think about the Manning family in the NFL. And I think that you could look at it a few different ways. Peyton obviously has been the, the standard for, you know, you talk about the, you know, the yes, sir, no, sir, the Southern charm style quarterback who's got all the talent in the world and, but he's not afraid to speak his mind. You know, he's a very smart guy. He's like the prototype athlete that you want. And you've got Eli Manning, who's kind of like the dopey younger brother who, you know, he's good in his own right, but you talk to him and not really sure if he's joking or if he's telling the truth or he doesn't really have a big personality. He's just kind of like laying back. He's like, oh, shucks. Peyton's doing his thing. I'm over here doing my thing. I'm just happy to be here. Eli's and- like that friend who, if you and the boys are all sitting around and it's like, oh, yeah, you should go do that. You should. I'm not going to do that. You go and do that. Everyone would then point and be like, get, get Eli to go do that. And, and then, then he would. Like, he's, he's that classic, like you said, dopey younger brother there. Like, oh, okay, guys, I'll, I'll go put a firecracker in this. Yeah, and, and and you know even even their older brother Cooper, um, great football player in his own right. But you look at how he, you know, I'm talking about Archie now. You look at how he was able to you know raise the three boys while being the starting quarterback of a expansion franchise with the New Orleans Saints. And people don't really remember how good Archie Manning was because he played so long ago. But Archie Manning was a fantastic quarterback. If you want to compare him to a quarterback of today, he was kind of what Patrick Mahomes was. He would improvise everything. He'd be able to scramble for 20 seconds before he was able to throw the ball because New Orleans was an absolutely terrible football team. <laughs> you know, and and you know, he was able to do it in an era where quarterbacks weren't protected like they are now. So he was getting absolutely walloped. And there's a great a 30 for 30 documentary on the Manning family. 
and it shows how he would he had a separated shoulder and broken ribs in a game you know went in the locker room got checked out got wrapped up got a suit on you know hopped in the car with his wife drove home and you see him out in the backyard playing with the three boys with yeah. a dislocated shoulder and broken ribs and the, the thing that's very genuine about that is because you could tell that that was Archie Manning's like getaway football was the job being at home was the getaway where for a lot of athletes it's the exact opposite mm-hmm. where being at home is the job and football or hockey or basketball is the getaway and I think Archie kind of bucked that trend of you know what I just want to be at home and enjoy my time there and then when I have to go to work I'll go to work and I'm making good money doing it so I'm going to keep doing it but you know what I, I'm, I'm just going to be there for them and you look at the success that the three sons had and it's, it's no coincidence that he wasn't overbearing, but it was something that he genuinely enjoyed doing. And the kids took a fondness to. So, Hey, I play football. You like football. Let's you know teach you how to play football. And obviously it's worked out pretty well for, for the three boys as, as they kind of come up and now obviously with his grandson, Arch, but, but again, you know, it's, I'll kind of fast forward to the whole draft process because, you know, that was a, a big, big deal when the two Manning boys were, were going through the draft. Obviously, Peyton, it was the Peyton versus Ryan Leaf show. And if you talk about the first two dads that we mentioned in this segment, they're going to be out there spouting off saying, Ryan Leaf sucks. My kid's so much better than him. And this is why. And here's all the stats. I can't believe that you would even consider Ryan Leaf to be in the same category. He didn't do that. You know, he was just under the assumption that, you know what, I've been here. Scouts are going to know the difference between a Peyton Manning and a Ryan Leaf. Let's just enjoy the moment and let's just, you know, go through this and, and you know, really enjoy it. And this is Peyton's time. Now we fast forward to Eli's draft. I was going to say, when you prefaced everything with, oh, what yeah. a great guy Archie is there. I was like, okay, I think 31 NFL fan bases are going to be in agreement with that. Chargers fans, however, yeah. <laughs> might have a bit of a different opinion. So, but, but again, when you break it down even more than what was on the surface, I think it makes a lot more sense as to why they did what they did. So, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, very infamous moment in the draft where Eli was said that, well, I don't want to play for the San Diego Chargers. And basically Archie Manning came out and said, it's, you know, I'm the one who made the decision. I I want you to blame me for this, not Eli. Don't, you know, don't blame Eli for it. And, and, you know, it kind of got back to, but again, like they handled it very well. They handled it very classy and, you know, it is what it is. Now you look at the situation. Archie Manning played for a terrible franchise in New Orleans. He got beat up and his career definitely wasn't what it could have been because he just wasn't afforded the opportunity to play with a great team. I think he saw what was happening with San Diego at the time. And I think in his mind, he looked at it as saying, they haven't really invested a lot into their franchise. They haven't done well since the Dan Fouts era. And ultimately, this isn't a franchise I can see my son being able to really you know, blossom in. And again, any father can look at what's the best situation for for your kid and you would go through a wall and you know if, if your girls end up being fortunate enough to be you NFL know quarterbacks to be nfl quarterbacks and hey you never know man you never know you know and you you found yourself in that situation of saying there's a better chance of them succeeding in this market i might try and, and, and steer that in the right direction because i've been through it before right so you know i get it 
you know, when it comes to that decision, I get it because he went through it. He never came out and said New Orleans sucked the life out of me. And I really hated every second I was playing for them. He, he just said, we just don't, they never mentioned the team. They never mentioned the Chargers. They just said, there's one team that we don't want to play for. And again, obviously everybody knew it was the Chargers, but I, I understand from a father's perspective of him wanting to protect his son. And did he catch a lot of heat for it? Absolutely. Did his son catch a lot of heat for it? Absolutely. But in the end, two Super Bowls later and a borderline Hall of Fame quarterback worked out pretty well for the Manning family in that scenario where Eli got to play in a very good market with New York with a great head coach, with a great GM who built the roster around him and won football games. So I, I just, everything that I see about Archie Manning, he's very much like Walter Gretzky. He's very mild mannered doesn't really speak aggressively to people. He takes the time to do, you know, work with charities. He takes the time to spend time with his kids at their functions and works with, with different things. So I, I love the way that he's transitioned from professional athlete over to a professional athlete dad and eventually will be a professional athlete granddad, because I don't know if you've seen clips of his grandson throwing the ball around, but He's going he's, first. He's got a pre- he's got a pretty good yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got a pretty good future ahead of him. But anyways, yeah, it's it's just great to see. And uh, and Archie Manning's definitely on the top of the list for me in regards to great uh, great sports stats. Could you imagine that the LA Chargers end up with the number 1 pick that year and he refuses to go there too? <laughs> <laughs> there might be a bounty put out on Archie. <laughs> <laughs> no, then then he could just then he could just blame Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny you bring up Archie Manning because I was so set to be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do Archie Manning here. But I knew somewhere in the back of my head that like, okay, same wavelength. Kyle's going to also bring up Archie Manning. So I went a different direction for my football pick here. I actually went with Mr. Howie Long as my sports dad that I wanted on, to talk on- about. On my list, on my uh, list. There we go. See, this, this is why we need to start pre-screening each other here yeah. before we get on these calls. I, I mean, it's good, though, because discussion-wise, now you're all set. But yes, obviously, Howie Long, in and of himself, Super Bowl champion, Hall of Fame career. But if we're looking at people who had impacts on their sport, right, there's plenty of people who have won the Super Bowl, who have been elected to the Hall of Fame, and then you never hear from them again. I don't know about you, but right around when I started getting interested in, you know, NFL football and all of that and taking things a little bit more seriously, like mid nineties, that was kind of when Howie Long started coming up through, whether it was Fox sports or just as after, you know, post game pressers and all of that and got involved in the media side. And now like everyone and their grandmother, they, they all know Terry Bradshaw. They know Howie Long. They know the whole crew that gets trotted out there every single Sunday. They're the familiar faces you see up there. So he's almost had like two hall of fame careers because he's been doing it since I think like 97 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, so it, was, what- it was early. It was early. Yeah, like it was whenever he stopped trying to act in Hollywood films. Because I don't know about you, <laughs> he's actually got a little bit of a IMDb he does, uh, yeah. database there. And uh, yeah, I think, I think his only real notable one was in Firestorm. 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 <laughs> yeah. But With Terry uh, Hatcher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good old 
Howie Long. He apparently had uh, a couple little cameos there with uh, the Tom Hanks movie and like a John Travolta movie or something like that. I can't remember the names of them right now, but he, he's dabbled. He's dabbled in uh, <laughs> things. But anyways, get, getting back to him as a father. <laughs> that, that's great, man. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> but uh, I mean, obviously now he's got three sons as well too. Two of them, most people probably know from their NFL careers themselves. They're obviously Chris Long and Kyle Long. Both uh, had fantastic careers as linemen. Who just got signed by the Chiefs, though, is Kyle, Kyle, right? Yeah. But he retired for a year, didn't he? He did, yes. He retired from the Bears, and then uh, the Chiefs were uh, were able to negotiate him back into – Yeah, negotiate to get him back on the field. But, uh, yeah, it's – it's funny, you know, Howie was a defensive lineman, Chris was a defensive lineman, and Kyle was on the offensive side. So it, uh, it worked out pretty well in that regard. But I don't know if you know what his third son does. Yeah, he's uh, Howie Jr. is a yeah. player personnel manager with the, uh, not Oakland Raiders, Vegas Raiders now. Yeah, but you know what he did before that? <laughs> he was a collegiate and professional lacrosse player. Oh, well, there you go. Well, yeah. I was tying it all into football here so that they all made their impact on NFL because, I mean, you've got people who fire out kids all the time who are professional athletes and they don't even get a sniff at even working for a professional franchise, whether it's even in ticket sales, let alone yeah. you know, being in the front office position and two extended NFL careers. But if we look at Howie too, uh, I mean – can you think of an instance where he really stepped in it or made a you know public fool of himself same thing with both chris and kyle and i mean people might know of howie just through passing things or if they google his name but he's not making headlines like howie chris and kyle are and when you're in that media spotlight for so long and most of the things come up about great teammate tenacious competitor the charity work that they're doing being outspoken on social justice issues like he raised three very fine young men there that he should be very proud of. And Howie himself has been involved with Boys and Girls Club of America like since he pretty much was in the league himself. So he's really instilled that giving back nature. And you see it, especially, I mean, as an Eagles fan here, you know, I, I'm a little more partial to one of the long boys than the other. But you really know that he passed that on to his kids and all three of them have really taken that to heart and incorporated into their lives as well too. Cause you can preach all you want as a parent, unless your kids are actually doing it, there, there's something missing there. And he definitely hit that one out of the park. So giving a little hat tip to uh, our friend, Howie Long, cause he's someone as well too, who you might not immediately jump to when you think of sports dads either. Yeah, he was definitely on my list. And uh, I, I was making the decision of, you know, which football dad I wanted to talk about. So Archie was, was just the, the name I really wanted first. to bring out. <laughs> yeah. Alphabetically first. Exactly. But uh, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. I mean, he, how he's done such a great job at, not only maximizing every ounce of his career, but helping in the background with his with his three sons and getting them, you know, to a spot where they're able to be successful in their own right. So it's uh, it's it's great whenever you can just you know have a success story and then a, uh, another success story, and then another one, and then another one. So um, that's a good one. So I'm uh, I'm actually going to pick. A, I'm going to go back to more of the negative side on this one. We we've been kind of. 
you know, hitting on the, the you know, the lovey-dovey, you know, Things fathers. Things are too and, on this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta rattle the cages a little bit here. So I, I'm not going to talk about the obvious one, which is LeVar Ball. Um, I'm not going to do it because that's all an act. I was, I, it's yeah. on my list to, to try and sucker you in uh, right at the end. Yeah. Get, get a LeVar Ball hot take here. No, you know what? I, I, I'll just give a quick little 30-second synopsis of LeVar Ball. Honestly, I think he's actually a good dad, and I think he he does a lot of great stuff behind the scenes. But I just think he does this act of being over aggressive, flamboyant because he's playing a character. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because I think he's trying to you know insert himself as this big baller brand that he wants his kids to to be involved in, but. Again, I think it's all an act. I I honestly think he is a good dad behind the scenes, and he's just uh, very misguided in his approach to getting in the public spotlight. So uh, that's all I'll say about LeVar Ball. And that's um, all I got to say about that. That's <laughs> all I got to say about that. So I, I'm going to talk about a dad who we were talking about generational talents um, with their children. And you know, you talked about Walter Gretzky and how he stayed out of the spotlight and still managed to guide Wayne to a Hall of Fame career. And, you know, obviously he's called the great one. So I'm going to go from the great one to the next one. And I'm going to talk about Eric Lindros's dad, Carl. <laughs> the reason why Carl is, is on my list of, of dads who I would not, you know, want to raise my children is because unlike Walter, he wanted to be in front of the ship driving it much like Earl Woods did. Now, what differentiated everything Carl did from all these other parents that we've talked about is Carl was actually Eric's agent from a very young age where he was negotiating contracts as early as 13 years old Mm -hmm. for Eric, which is one highly illegal (laughs) and, and two just so unethical, it's ridiculous. But when you look at, and I think Eric's mom is actually very much like his dad, where they were both more, you know, very overbearing. So we, we've touched on a lot of things. So for people who aren't familiar with Eric's career, Eric Lindros was viewed as the next one because of his immense size, his fantastic skating ability, his hands. You know, he was basically the the prototype hockey player as to what you wanted for the next generation of of uh, of talent and even when he was going through junior hockey so we're talking the ohl which team did eric lindros get drafted by kyle well he played for the oshawa generals but that wasn't who he was drafted by (laughs) no it was not so he was drafted by the sioux st marie greyhounds and wouldn't you know it that eric lindros's agent aka dad was first and foremost at the front line saying, absolutely no way will my son report to Sault Ste. Marie if you draft him. So what happened? Sault Ste. Marie drafted him anyway. They held out, and Sault Ste. Marie was forced to trade him away. So Eric went on to have a Hall of Fame junior career with Oshawa because, obviously, he's the best player on the ice wherever he goes. Now we fast forward a little bit. You know, he's kind of guided his career throughout that whole point now, too, and He's played in some world juniors. He's, he's, you know, made a name for himself. Now he's obviously the number one ranked player in the 1991 NHL entry draft. Who's drafting number one in 1991, Kyle? 
The Quebec Nordiques. The Quebec Nordiques, who drafted first overall the prior two years in 1990 and 1989. So obviously, they are not a very successful franchise, much like the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in the OHL back at that time. So Carl comes out and basically speaks on Eric's behalf, saying, you know, and again, unlike Archie, who's trying to take things away from <laughs> away from Eli and putting it on himself. Carl comes out and says, no way Eric wants to play for a French team. Yeah. <laughs> and if you draft Eric, it's the biggest mistake you'll ever make. He will not put on your jersey and he will not play for you. Not saying that I don't want him to play there. He's saying he doesn't want to play there. So obviously he's throwing everything on an 18-year-old's back saying, hey, entire NHL and one whole fan base for, for a province I want you to hate my son to the point where you don't want him to play there anymore and you force management to move him out. So they find a suitor, well, multiple suitors, anyone who's unfamiliar with the story. There's two trades on the 1992 draft night, but essentially he makes Eric sit out for the entire year in 1992 uh, to go back and play junior. He's traded on draft night 92 to the Philadelphia Flyers. New York Rangers would, would contest that thing. They had a deal in place, but that's neither here nor there. So again, a King's Ransom goes back to Quebec, which ultimately moves to Colorado. And this trade gives Colorado the ammunition to win their first Stanley Cup. Philadelphia made up pretty well too, because obviously you land the best player in junior hockey and ultimately a once in a generational talent. And again, Philadelphia took the next step and they did really, really well with Eric on their team. But it does not end there. Why? Because... Now you force Philadelphia to trade away all these assets for your son. So what's the best way to get in their good graces, Kyle? I'm going to go in a contract stalemate with you and demand way more money than any first overall pick has ever made. And I'm going to put you on the hot seat to make this because I know we have all the leverage. You just traded away half your team to get my son. <laughs> so now he's not only alienated junior hockey, he's not only alienated the Quebec Nordiques, now he's alienating the team that felt so strongly to obtain Eric's rights. And you know what? They really want to draft my boy. They're going to make him the face of their franchise. And I'm so proud. No, 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 no. Up yours, Philadelphia. Pay us some more money. Winning. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to go on any more you know, long rants like that. But you kind of get a sense of what Carl Lindros is all about. He's about himself and making sure that his son is going to make as much money as possible so that way he can grease his own pockets. I don't know if you've actually heard about what's happened after, you know, all this happened. So as Eric's career was kind of going on, Carl was working behind the scenes as his agent, got into multiple confrontations with Philadelphia management and ultimately came out that, that he was actually stealing money from Eric's bank account and financing, you know, renovations on their house for him and his wife going on vacations while he should have been negotiating Eric's new contract and just doing everything that a sleazeball agent would normally do to someone who's not related to them. And this is the pride and joy of their life. Who's given his parents everything that, you know, they've ever wanted by being good at hockey. And they're now trying to alienate their son. So they pissed off the OHL. He's pissed off the NHL. He's pissed off two you know, very, very deeply devoted franchises. And now, you know what? The only person who stood by us this whole time, eh, you know what, let's kick him in the nuts and move forward. 
great dad, great fatherhood, great parenting ability by Carl Lindros and uh, definitely on the bottom of the spectrum in regards to good sports parents. Earl Woods soaring out of the basement here with Carl Lindros entering the race. But no, it's so true. I mean, even people who aren't hardcore hockey fans have probably heard of the massive, like you said, King's Ransom that went back the other way, which ultimately became the Colorado Avalanche and propelled them to years of dominance and all of that. Now, there's the whole Patrick Waugh fiasco, but that's, that has nothing to do with parents there. That's <laughs> But, oh, my Lord. Yeah, no, he he was definitely one that I considered putting on the list. But I just figured, you know what? I don't even want to talk about this guy. This is how scummy he is. But he's, <laughs> he's the perfect case in point where I don't care if your dad or mom or cousin or whatever is a lawyer. Hire a third party person to be your agent. Let the moms be moms. Let the dads be dads. Let your family support you and love you unconditionally. Because if there's one thing that can tear families apart very quickly, (laughs) it's money. And there's no reason to put that on the table, especially when we're dealing with multi-million dollar contracts. Yes. Anyways, now that we're all feeling great about ourselves... Let's go in a different direction. Let's, let's, let's get back to the good side here. And I would like to talk about someone who had a Hall of Fame career himself and were it not for his untimely passing, would have continued to affect the sport in so many ways that we don't even know what long-term effect he would have had. But I'm talking about Kobe Bryant at this point here. Obviously, Kobe, one of the top 10 basketball players of all time, multiple championships, Hall of Fame career, name the trophy he's probably won it, blah, 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 blah. What I want to focus on, though, is Kobe Bryant as a parent. And talk about one of the all-time tragedies for a sport. I'm not talking about the NBA. I'm talking about the sport of basketball. Because when you remember that half the people on this planet are women... (laughs) And of all of those women who play basketball, there is perhaps no single person who has the reach, the influence, the media contacts, and the ability to have an entire generation of fans, let alone an entire state of California, pretty much do whatever he says is cool. And he was absolutely all in on women's basketball. Why? because his daughters loved basketball and all of the things that you read, whether it's from his wife or a profile piece, or, you know, even in his Mamba mentality books or anything like that, like it all comes back to a love of the game, which he clearly passed on to his daughters, most prolifically Gigi, obviously, who was in the helicopter that ultimately perished. And, you know, we don't want to just say it was Kobe and his daughter. There were other passengers on there as well, too. So obviously horrible, horrible day just in general when that happened. But you look at his work with his Mamba Academy. You look at just even, you know, him being on the sidelines when he wasn't coaching, just watching his daughter's games, how into it he was. Like half these NBA stars or even like G League stars or European stars or anyone who plays professional basketball, most of the time when they come into a gym, the hoodie's up, they'll sit in the back row. Sometimes they've got security around them, making sure kids don't even bother them. Like he was there to be 
a regular Joe dad and get up and cheer when his daughter did something well and, you know, clap on defense and make noise. He did all the little things that you would love out of a parent. And this was when he wasn't coaching. He was yeah. coaching a ridiculous amount of time for someone who has a multi-million dollar empire to run off the court as well too, right? He's not Zoom calling these things in or, oh yeah, yeah, live stream the game for me. I'll watch it from there. He was at an inordinate amount of his daughter's games. Yeah. So Kobe's work with all of that. Now, none of this is to diminish the progress that the WNBA has made and the women's game has made or anything like that. But if you just look at it from simple economics, let's take Kia Nurse, who is one of the WNBA's biggest stars, at least in Canada here. Everyone who is in the basketball scene knows who Kia Nurse is. Yeah. She has 90,000 Instagram followers and is a current WNBA player. Kobe Bryant, who has probably lost 10 million followers since his passing, is still at like 27 million followers. So I think if you took probably four or five WNBA franchises add up the franchise numbers and the followings of every single player on those teams. Like we're, we're not even touching the number that Kobe could have with a single tweet, with an Instagram post, with a live stream, with anything. And he was all in on the women's game. Like the, the effect that he would have had long-term on women's basketball, we'll never know what it could be. I, I think in our lifetime, we'll probably get there eventually where I don't know if it'll ever be on par with the men's game in terms of viewerships and sponsorship deals and all that, but I think it, we're going to see exponential growth in the women's game in our lifetimes to the point where it's no longer, okay, well, she has to play in this professional women's hockey league, do all this traveling and ride all these buses and all that, and has to be an accountant for this firm because she gets paid like a $3,500 stipend for the weekend type thing. I think we'll eventually get to the point where women can actually be professional athletes in all of the sports across the board and not worry about money. Mm. But it would have been like taking steroids had Kobe still been here and still doing the things that he was doing with his daughters and his Mamba Academy and all of that. Yeah. Could you imagine the effect it would have when Gigi was in college of Kobe sitting courtside for every Yukon women's basketball home game? Like those tickets would probably be going for more than most NBA regular season games were going yeah. on that night. Like it would have been unbelievable. And when she get drafted to the Los Angeles Sparks, because you know that there would have been some backdoor shenanigans going on that he would have made sure that she ended up with Sparks there for sure. Jerry, you want to talk Jerry about Archie West, Manning? Yeah. <laughs> like, Jerry West would have come out of retirement to take over as the GM of the Sparks for one day, make the magic moves that he's been able to make in his career get Gigi on there and then retire and move it on to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He would have had some sort of a connection that with two phone calls, she would have been an LA spark. <laughs> but yeah, again, we're, we're not diminishing the product. Like hell I, I've gone out there and bought a WNBA pass. So I, I'm watching games this year. Viewership is up across the board. Mm -hmm. Sponsorship dollars are slowly coming in all of that. But it's the same reason that people go on shows like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank or whatever. You could have the best product in the world, but until you get enough eyeballs on that product, it's not where it could be eventually. And that, that's, yeah. that's a, what I really think Kobe would have done for the women's game there. And you just see it with all the memorials, the tributes, this, the that. Like he was by all intents and purposes, a phenomenal father who 
don't get me wrong, he was up at 4 a.m. and in the gym and probably was away from that family quite a bit, right? Way more than even his professional athlete NBA peers were away from their families. But when he was with them, he was maximizing every single second that he was with them. He wasn't on his phone. He wasn't, leave me alone, daddy's tired. He was at their games. He was shooting hoops with them in the backyard. He was taking them to dance recitals. He was being a dad. And I think that he's one that it's one of those great what ifs. Like where would the WNBA be five years from today if Kobe Bryant were still alive and doing the things that he was doing with Gigi and all the women's side of the game there? Yeah, and you you definitely hit the nail on the head, you know, with, with the what if, because... I think what we were seeing with Kobe as a dad and a coach um, for his kids was probably greater than what we were able to see him do on the court as a player, Mm -hmm. because I think he brought the passion that he had inside of him to be as successful as he was as a player. But now you have the extra drive to do what needs to be done to make sure that your kids are in the best scenario possible to succeed. So, you know, it, it was, you're so right when you say it was so great to see all the nice stories that came out from, you know what, he's there courtside, you know, cheering on, you know, the other girls of the team, even when his daughter's on the bench, he's there coaching when no one else wanted to step up, even with his busy schedule, he wanted to be there. And everything you heard of him as a dad, it just, it just made you feel good as, as someone who followed it because there's so many stories of, Again, absentee fathers who just don't want anything to do with their kids, and you know, as as difficult as it is to as, as it is to hear, a lot of people generalize with former athletes saying, "Oh, don't you regret that you don't have a boy?" Mm-hmm. And you know, I get asked that question all the time, and you know, every time Kobe would answer it, it's the same way that I answer it. It's like you you just you don't understand what it's like to be a girl dad. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't understand what it's like, you know, when you, when you have a daughter, something just happens to you as a, as, as a man where you transform into this protective, fun, loving teacher, coach, dance partner, DJ, everything that's kind of comes together. And, you know, you can, you can do the same things that you would do with a son, but you also have this special bond with your daughter. And I think Kobe really resonated with that because that's all he had. He had five daughters, so mm-hmm. he didn't know any different. And, and again, he relished every moment that, you know, that he had with all of his kids. And, you know, seeing that as a, as a father of two girls myself, like I, I was so sad when, when him, you know, and, and all the people on that, uh, on that helicopter passed away. Just because, again, I think that people are really starting to see the the real Kobe Bryant post playing come out, and it was just a a different a different version of that. But I think more people were going to be saying, you know what, I didn't like him as a player, but man, I love him as a person now. Yeah, there's definitely something about having daughters that just melts that big old ice ball in your chest, yeah. a little, little puddle. And you know what, like, like you said, five daughters. So certainly wasn't for lack of trying that he didn't have a boy. <laughs> but at, at, the, at the same time, though, it's almost kind of good, I think, that he only had daughters because I don't think he would have drastically changed. But his track history of uh, other males on a basketball team, he's, he's clashed with a few <laughs> basketball players in his day there. I mean, he was just from everything that people would say, obviously I didn't know him personally, never appeared on the show. Like everything that people would say was he was just so happy 
to be there, to be whatever it was doing, whether it was sitting in a park, whether it was at a basketball game, whether it was at a backyard barbecue, whatever it was, he was happy to be with his daughters and yeah. tip of the cap to him, but definitely one of the big what ifs because the, the women's basketball game lost a massive, massive ambassador yes. to the point where I don't think there's really even a comparable to the men's side. Like it, you would almost have to have like LeBron, MJ, Zion, and like KD, Steph, and maybe three others all wrapped up into one bus drive off a cliff or something like that to even equate the impact that would be felt on that side of the game. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention, you know, people that I wanted to bring up, but uh, you know, obviously didn't have time to, but uh, Gordy Howe had the unique distinction of being able to play on a line in a professional hockey game with his two sons and obviously, you know, nicknamed Mr. Hockey and by all intents and purposes was a great dad to his kids and was able to coach them while also playing with them, which no one else on this list has had the distinction of doing until LeBron and Bronny end up, you know, together on, <laughs> on the same court. Marv Marinovich, which again, if you want to talk about dads in the low end of the totem pole, this guy was an absolute monster. And for anyone who doesn't know who that is, just go Google Todd Marinovich and read about the horrific upbringing that he had with his dad making him into a robot, pretty much. And uh, another guy I was going to bring up, too, because, again, I think he falls underneath the radar. That's Pat Mahomes. Mm-hmm. You know, father of Patrick Mahomes, not to be confused, because if, if you call him Pat, his mom will tweet at you and uh, do it angrily. But uh, again, a former MLB baseball player and, you know, journeyman, you know, had a, had a decent career. But I think every time you hear Patrick speak of his dad, you see the emotion come out of him because his dad was there all the time helping him develop. So, you know, shout out to, to Mr. Pat Mahomes for, for, you know, creating and, you know, teaching the, the highest paid player in NFL history. Fun fact about good old Pat Mahomes senior here is he's actually as a pitcher has the second worst or <laughs> ever in MLB yeah. history. Yeah. So, but it is true though. Of I, I think there's something to be said of former athletes who have, while they're still playing five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids scampering around those professional locker rooms there and just sort of seeing what that's like and seeing the limelights and pressers and all of that. Uh, I think any kid who comes out from a professional athlete, genetics aside, because obviously you're, you're hitting the lottery on that one to begin with there, but just mentally seeing sort of what that side of things goes you rarely see like a dad professional athlete and then the son or mother daughter whatever the case is where dad goes out and is super well spoken to and then the kid's a nut job right you'll sometimes see it where the dad's a bit of a head case there and and then the son comes up and has learned some lessons from dad but you don't really see it uh, vice versa there well you know that being said the, the one person i wanted to bring up because he's in the spotlight, the same as a Kobe Bryant was in regards to, you know, being a parent. He played basketball, recently retired. I'm not going to talk about LeBron James because obviously he's still playing. Everybody sees the impact that, you know, that he has with his kids. He's very active on social media. I'm going to talk about Dwayne Wade. And the reason I want to bring up Dwayne Wade is because you talk about supportive parents. You talk about parents who are there for their kids. You talk about putting their kids ahead of themselves. I think Dwayne Wade checks all of these boxes. 
And from a few different standpoints, Dwayne Wade and his first wife and girlfriend at the time, they had their first child when he was still in college at Marquette. Mm -hmm. And anyone who saw the impact that Dwayne Wade had on college basketball was insane. And when you consider that he was having to deal with a newborn while doing all those things, going to class, working, playing the highest level basketball outside of the NBA, it's pretty incredible that he was able to, one, do what he was doing on the court. But when you heard about everything he was doing off the court, like he was bringing his baby to classes, he was bringing his baby to practices and changing, you know, changing their diaper on the on the sideline, you know, while he was actually trying to learn a new system or, or you know, going to film study. So, so that again, like that maturity level at such a young age as a parent really, you know, resonates through and, and makes it so that not a lot of people can do that. You know, not a lot of people have that ability to to be a, a parent while also trying to achieve their own dreams at a young age. Now, now hold on here. You're saying on air, you would not have been a good parent at age 18 or 19 while I was in the I am 100% certain that I would not have been, I mean, I would have made the best scenario out of it, but I was not ready to be a parent at that age. And I don't think, I don't think anybody is, but you know, the I'm fact barely that ready to be a parent, these days, <laughs> I'm 33. <laughs> you know, you, you look at the scenario that you know Dwayne Wade and, and his family kind of in the spotlight for uh, a couple of years ago, and, and and one of his kids coming out and um, you know, and and obviously you know, being uh, being gay, and it's not an easy thing for a lot of athletes who are in that macho you know, locker room where. It's like, it looks like it's frowned upon. And like you know, anybody who's not, you know, who, who didn't see it today, Carl Nassib of, you know, of the Las Vegas Raiders came out today as gay and announced it. And, you know, and, and again, it's at a point now in sports where obviously it's becoming more and more accepted, but anyone who's been in a locker room, they know the stereotypes that exist in those, in, in those scenarios. And especially when, you know, it comes to kids who are just trying to find an identity for themselves. And, you know, the, the things that would happen to them unjustly for, for being who they are. Dwayne Wade was so supportive of his child and really has made such a difference in the LGBTQ community that I think that you look at what he's able to be, you know, do as a parent that far exceeds anything that he was able to do on the court because talk about, you know, all these parents getting involved in charities and, you know, kind of going to the forefront of this, like, Dwayne Wade's now a frontline advocate and he's, you know, he's going to the parades. He's bringing those eyeballs to, you know, to this, to this awareness, because again, this is something that means a lot to him because his child is going through it. And it's, it's something that I think every parent needs to hear, regardless of whether your son or daughter tells you if they're straight, gay, whatever it may be support is the main thing that's going to be what your child is looking for. They're not looking for you to, you know, give them all the answers to life. 99% of parenting is just showing up. And again, you know, you look at all the great things that Dwayne has done for not only his own kid, but for everyone involved in the same cause that, that his child's trying to put out there saying like, it's okay to be who you are. And, you know, he's going on these podcasts, he's going on these you know, TV shows, and he's, he's putting himself out there in the media saying like, look, 
I want to make sure that everybody is comfortable with who they are. And I want to make sure that everybody can go enjoy a basketball game, whether you're a fan of this team, whether you're a fan of that team, whether you identify as this, whether you identify as that. And that's the beauty of being a good parent is when you're willing to put yourself out there and support your kids in every single thing that they're doing. That's something that I really have respected so much about Dwayne Wade and the way that he's been able to not only support, but go above and beyond and bring awareness and and really help anyone who might be feeling uneasy about coming out or anything like that. So, you know, kudos to Dwayne Wade. And, you know, that's, I, I wanted to end off on a high note with, uh, with him instead of any of those other uh, questionable characters. <laughs> well, I mean, what a, what a great one to end on there too, because we mentioned earlier in the episode, there was a stereotype, which sadly was probably based a little bit in truth of the pro athlete of, oh, I fathered a child in such and such city and it was a one night stand with so-and-so and I just bounced from their life never to see them again, right? It would have been very easy for Wade to have just said, you know what, I'm going to send out the obligatory PR tweet of, oh, I support my son, blah, 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 blah. And then never really talk about it again. Like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, no, I, I love him. Not, not, nothing's changed. Yeah, everything's great there. It would have been very easy for him to also just pour himself into Zaire Wade's career, who is a budding star right now and mm-hmm. is right up there with Bronny James and some of the other kids that are potentially, you know, making NCAA high major rosters and possibly even making the NBA as well too that's something he knows that's something easy it would have been easy to stay in his basketball macho cocoon and the fact that he's branched out there and become such an outspoken advocate as well too a lot of people will see things that are not genuine and our PR stunts and all of that, right? It usually happens in a condensed little two-week span and then, Mm -hmm. okay, whatever, now I'm on to my next project or whatever. Like He's been consistently out there with his support. And like you said, kudos to him as well too. I think he's doing a phenomenal job and uh, great, great one to end the episode on. My little rundown of honorable mentions here that we didn't have enough time to get to today, but could be their own standalone episode. Wanted to say Del Curry and Steph and Seth Curry as well, too. You want to talk about pro athlete who had his little scamps tagging along to every locker room that he was in over his career. Uh, Doc and Austin Rivers. That that was kind of an interesting one there, too, because with them, not only did they obviously come up in basketball together, but Doc was physically coaching his professional NBA son with the Clippers for <laughs> traded for traded traded for and coached. Yeah, yeah I was going to say he, he also had GM duties for the Clippers there as well too. So it wasn't like yeah. it was like oh I got stuck with them here. Like he sought it out, and yeah. you know obviously Rivers left Los Angeles while his dad was the coach there. So how well that went, who knows? But I mean that. Yeah more to do with the fact that if i was in my mid-20s and was a multi-millionaire and doing all the things that those guys are doing i probably wouldn't want dad tagging along with all the things <laughs> but anyways lewis sutter you want yeah. to talk about firing kids into the professional ranks six yeah. of his sons in the nhl plus three grandkids have played in the nhl yeah it's crazy I can only imagine what that family reunion pond hockey game looks like. My God. Yeah. And then the last one I wanted to say was uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. Yep. 
again, two that uh, played on the same team together. And if you want to see a wholesome father-son moment at the highest level, just look up when Ken Griffey Sr. was calling for the fly ball in the outfield and out of the side of the camera in comes Junior and steals the fly ball and just the smile <laughs> on their face. This wasn't during batting practice. It was during an MLB game with some yeah. line here. Like that, that, that to me just screams classic father-son moment of my, my son's just being a shithead right now on, on the grandest <laughs> stage of the Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it's funny how you look at, you know, a lot of these things and, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. actually good sports dad in his own right. You know, his son, Trey Griffey was a, a great receiver for the university of Notre Dame and, uh, and ended up having a little stint in the pros. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see, you know, the little crossover there, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, shout out to all the, all the dads that are, that are doing the work. And, and again, you know, like we said, all episode, like just, just being there and then making sure that their kids are, are taken care of, they're supported. And, you know, if, if they show an interest in something that interests you as well, that just kind of goes hand in hand to, to make them into the best form of, of what they can be. So, you know, that being said, I mean, I, I look at my own scenario. I, I, I really hope that my kids take to athletics the way that I did as a, as a young kid. And, you know, I, my wife and I kind of joke about it all the time, like, you know, oh yeah, like, you know, our oldest one, she'll be the, you know, the Olympic swimmer slash professional golfer. And the youngest one will be the, the MMA champion. And we, we, we talk about that kind of goofy stuff all the time, but you know, it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see how they, how they kind of take to it. If they don't, whatever is what it is. But, uh, you know, my, my three-year-old's just starting to skate. She's just starting to play soccer. We're getting her into different things and actually teaching her some, uh, some mixed martial arts stuff too, which is, which is pretty fun. So she's, uh, she's taken a little bit to it. So we'll see where that goes. Maybe dad will have to strap on the blades again and, and coach a little bit, but, uh, you know, it, it'll be fun to see where they go as I'm sure that you're, you're doing the same with your girl and and see where they can uh, you know they can have some fun and uh, and make it you know some good father-daughter moments along the way yeah no absolutely right now uh so Haley and harper if you guys are listening to this in 20 years there like right now the stage that you two are at is Haley's my oldest she's in junior kindergarten she is if you stood her next to like a second grader would be indecipherable like size wise yeah. in like 99th percentile height weight everything like she's just a just an absolute giant five-year-old right now <laughs> don't know where she gets it because her mom's an oompa loompa and i'm like 510 so <laughs> i don't know where these genetics are coming from but who knows where she's gonna go right now she's just super into all the dance and the arts oh, and yeah. crafts and all of that so she, she might be the classic uh, gentle giant later on don't know yeah. if that'll actually pan out long term the little one though <laughs> watch out <laughs> she, she has figured out how to walk and has quickly figured out how to throw things at you and punch and kick and may very well be uh, ready to challenge nunez with a full fight camp underneath her belt so, <laughs> she's, uh, she's one to keep an eye on there she's a scrappy little one but yeah. like you said it's uh it's 
great being not only a dad but girl dad as well too and while we're here we might as well shout out the the two men who got us to here so shout yes. out to dougie skinner happy belated father's day to you and, and you want to talk to the velour draped uh father <laughs> so uh yeah what uh what kyle's alluding to is i posted a picture on social media just uh, giving a shout out to my dad on father's day and he's wearing a velvet uh, velvet bathrobe in the picture which is just absolutely as 80s as could get but uh yeah you know uh happy belated father's day to uh, to big scotty kirkwood you know definitely was uh, was the you know major driving force to to me getting to where i was able to get to as well so kudos to him and uh you know he'd be on the he'd be on the top you know top part of the of the totem pole on uh we, we banned you from taking anyone that you had a blood relation with. <laughs> yeah. so that, that was the only reason you were admitted there but yeah Anyways, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. As always, fulfilling your contractual obligations on this night. And you're, you're pulling double duty here. You, kudos to you for staying up this late because you just wrapped up your own interview there too for the front <laughs> office pod. So uh, I, I can see the bag starting to form under your eyes. So it seems like a good time to be wrapping up this episode here. <laughs> Honestly, man, if it didn't look horrible, I'd be doing what Post Malone does and just put the always tired underneath my eyes because you say that they're just starting to form. That's 24-7, buddy. No, I, you know what? It's it's my pleasure, man. Anytime that you want to you wanna, you know, bring uh, bring me on and anytime you want to come on ours to to shoot the shit and, you know, just kind of yuck it up like we always do. It's always fun. So uh, happy to stay up past my bedtime to uh, to do this. Beautiful. And that is the Front Office Podcast. Check it out anywhere podcasts are found there. You can hear Kyle, Kev, and Jet. We've already talked about the rest of the miscreants that you're on air with that I'm having to edit week in, week out with you guys. So check it out today. Rate, review, subscribe if you haven't already. And you guys have a little contest going on today as well, too, until the end of the month, I think. Eh? Yeah, so the Owner's Box giveaway contest that we're running. So just trying to grow what we're doing organically. So anybody who uh, who goes to our social media page on Instagram, it's at Front Office Podcast. Uh, just go search the Owner's Box giveaway. We've got some signed footballs from uh, some of our professional football guests that we've had on, some signed soccer paraphernalia from uh, an uh, MLS guest. Um, and we actually do some kind of fun things. You get a 15-minute physiotherapy consultation with Jet. Uh, you get some stellar artois chalices and uh, you actually get to be a part of the show. So not only will we buy you your first food item at uh, our official sponsor, the smoke shack at our first live show that we have, but you also get to choose the topic of our episode whenever the time comes. So, um, you know, again, you know, we thought we'd do a little, something pretty, uh, pretty unique and, and try and grow what we're doing there. So, Head over to uh, at uh, Front Office Podcast on Instagram and, uh, you know, share it, you know, copy, paste, and then uh, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a couple of reviews. So uh, we're uh, we're falling behind on the on the review portion of it. So just uh, let's get those up. Beautiful. All right. Well, enjoy your evening. We'll let you go. Say hi to the wife and kids there and happy Father's Day to you. You too, brother. Thank you.